This is Maurice Jones. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for being with us. I'm joined today by Esther Udwehi, who is a Ph.D. candidate at the Warden School of Finance at the University of Pennsylvania. Esther, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, Maurice. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your uh, PhD uh, studies and pursuits, uh, your your research, what you're looking at, um, and we'll take it from there. So what I focus on generally is how identities and the language we use to describe our identities influence the choices that we make, how we interact with others, how we interact with the marketplace, etc. And I believe that language choices do matter, and a lot of and the research that I focus on is is thinking about how do these language choices play out? Um, how what language choices do people choose to use for others, as well as the language choices that people prefer for themselves, specifically for stigmatizing vulnerable groups, where the language matters even more because the stakes are higher for their situation. Because we knowingly and unknowingly use our language choices and make certain language choices, particularly for stigmatized groups. And we, and we make certain language choices that may further stigmatize these vulnerable groups. And the language and the, and the lens that I focus on, particularly is looking at person-first or person-centered language. What do you mean by, what do you mean by person-first or person-centered? So it's person. So person first language highlights the personhood of the person before focusing on the stigmatized identity. So, for example, instead of calling someone a drug addict, which focuses on the the stigmatized identity, you would call them a person with a substance use disorder. So you're focusing on their personhood and the fact that they're a human being before you focus on the, the fact that they possess some sort of stigmatized identity. And, and what difference does that make? And to whom? That's one, and, that's one of, and that is one of the aspects of these language choices that I do study, is how do these language choices impact the way we view stigmatized groups? And what I find for uh, substance use disorder specifically, I find that person-first language actually does lead to an, uh, a more positive viewing of people who are dealing with substance use disorders. So when you call someone a drug addict, you're potentially viewing them more negatively than if you were to use person-first or person-centered language. And and, and so there, we're still, as a research as an academic society, we're still looking at how, what are the effects of these language choices and how do they make an impact on the lives of others. And, 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 I'm one, and I study that, and we are finding that these person-centered language choices do make a difference. You know, we, um, so LISC, as you know, since you're on our Emerging Leaders Council, and thank you for serving on that, uh, Lisk is uh, Lisk is in the in the heart of the community development space, and we have been working there for about forty years. And um, 
uh, we're one of the largest organizations in the space. One thing that you see in the community development arena is um, uh, quite a bit of language about low-income people and um, disinvested communities um, and the like. What, what um, it sounds to me from uh, from your research, from your work, we really should be much more careful about uh, the language that we're using to, by the way, to describe the very people that we're trying to be of value to. Um, so if, if I'm hearing you right, what's your advice to practitioners like us about um, the role that language plays in our practice or could play. Right. It, it, and it's because it is important that we reflect on the language choices that we make for vulnerable or stigmatized groups because our language can further stigmatize uh, parts of our population. Uh, for example, if calling someone an enslaved person versus a slave it, it it changes the way we view uh, the it changes the way we are the focus that we're putting on the victim because instead of calling them a slave and focusing on the action we're actually focusing on the system when we call them an enslaved person and so it's important that our language reflects the systems that create an unequal society and these systems potentially perpetuate the, the further stigmatization of vulnerable groups through language. And so using words that reflect the role of the system versus the focus on um, the focus on uh, the the action can actually be powerful and really reflecting a more a more equitable society through our language choices. And so some of the advice that I think would be useful is thinking about how are we normalizing certain language that can perpetuate this idea that it's the person's fault that they are stigmatized or that they're part of a vulnerable group and doesn't hold the system responsible for their, the part that they play. Um, within the situation. So, and I think that having conversations, organizations like LISC, having conversations around language is really important because the goal isn't to use the same language choice all the time. It's not, it doesn't always make sense to use a particular language choice every time. And I'm not advocating for that. I don't think a lot of people aren't actually, but it's the goal is to actually understand and be intentional about the language choices that you are making and making sure that you're not continuing, uh, you're not continuing to use language that just can, um, further stigmatizes that group, which is really important. So let's take uh, a concrete example. So very often you'll see in our literature uh, in the field or hear us at gatherings referring to low-income people 
uh, how, right. uh, what should we be saying? What's, what's, the, what's the right way uh, or the most effective way to be respectful of a person's personhood, like you say, um, but still attempt to describe the fact that we're talking about folks who uh, are earning, relatively speaking, for example, low wages, uh, rather than low-income people, what would you? What should we be? What terminology right. I mean, should we be using? And actually, you, you sort of said maybe even using words like people who are earning low wages, because that's really the situation that's happening. Like the idea of a low-income person assumes that the person within that certain income bracket should be defined by this characteristic, and then does not get at it. Does not get at the potentials to to actually change within that system. They're, the person is being defined by the idea of being low income, which is not necessarily within their control. And by being defined by that, by that characteristic, it, it, it ignores how we can create a society where people aren't, that, are, that people who are, can be afforded financial security. And so, in order to get at that, we should be using words that first reinforce their personhood. So by using words like you just said, person who is earning a low, low wages really gets at the, the root of the, the, the topic or the issue that people want to focus on. And it's really because the idea of being a low income person, quote unquote, it makes it seem as if that's something that can never change mm-hmm. or that it's just who they are. Right. And and they should be defined by that. And we want to get away from language that defines people by characteristic, by with certain characteristics. However, w- when we're actually trying to change the system, it's okay if we're not if, if for certain things that you know, that define us that um, that aren't necessarily going to change. Like for example, race. I mean, because I get this question all the time, well, well, when do we use person-centered language versus using like, language that focuses on identity? And yeah, there are certain identities that aren't necessarily changing, like your race isn't necessarily going to change. So if you are a white woman, like using person-centered language doesn't, doesn't we're not trying to change the person's race, therefore there isn't something that that would necessitate the idea of person-centered language for certain identities. And that's also really important. How did you um, tell us about your journey to um, explore this topic? I mean, what, what led you here? Was there some experience or uh, something you read or uh, some combination of a person who motivated you? But, why this topic as the topic that you're spending um, uh, time on in your research? Right. Yeah. I, I think that I've been motivated by a lot of things in my life, but I, it, but at, at the same time, I think that was language for me. I find fascinating because we, even though if you ask a lot of people and you ask them, do you think words matter? A lot of people think, yeah, words matter. But then when you actually start to better understand the idea of words mattering, they don't actually want, we, we as a society sometimes question 
when they matter and when and when they don't. And I find that really fascinating because in our everyday in our everyday interactions, we're saying words all the time and we don't actually really understand potentially the the background of those words, what what impact they might be having on other people. And I became fascinated by that because there was an article that came out my first year, actually a few, maybe just a few weeks when I started my first year of my PhD. And it was focused on this doctor who was trying to, who was working with obesity. And the article was talking about, is there a way of tackling obesity? And this doctor said, well, one thing we try to do is we try to call people, people with obesity, and not obese people. Oh, interesting. And I became interested in that dichotomy because I was wondering, well, where is that? Why do why would it, why do doctors find that to be an important designation and distinction? Actually, and so and then that's when I stumbled across person-first language as as a tool to be used in order to in order to get away from really defining people by identities that we're trying to change in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to realize within this space, there's a lot of work still that still needs to be done in understanding when these language choices are being made. And one of the first studies that I ran was fascinating because I just asked people, I asked them two questions for several conditions. I asked them, which, which language choice do you think is the nicer language choice to you? And then which choice, which language choice would do you actually use? And I asked them for several different conditions. And what I found was that for conditions such as obesity, uh, 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 substance use disorders, and alcoholism, people are more likely to call someone an alcoholic, a drug addict, an obese person, even though everyone, you know, over 80 of people for all the conditions thought that person first language was the nicer, more sensitive term to be using. But they wouldn't but they said that they wouldn't actually use it for conditions such as obesity. And I found that fascinating because there is we are using our language choices in order to convey some sort of belief we have about stigmatized conditions. Yeah. And so I became fascinated by that because I wanted to find ways of helping helping society think about these stigmatized conditions differently and not holding people as personally responsible. You know, I am, as you spoke, I was um, remembering I, I have been to... Um, uh, I've been a spectator at a number of um, Alcoholic Anonymous meetings. And, mm. um, you know, a person will start, and this is how um, um, the, the, the sort of practice wants this person to start. The person will say, uh, hi, you know, my name is Maurice, and I'm an alcoholic. And and the sort of belief is that by my putting that out there and saying that at the outset, I am confronting my challenge and calling it what it is. Uh, And so it's encouraged, right? It is uh, it is believed to be 
my um, admitting that I've got a, a problem, which is the first step in my journey to healing. And so right. I'm wondering how that, how to reconcile that with um, what you are clearly finding is the need for us um, to be um, more thoughtful, more careful, uh, and frankly, um, more person-centered in the language that we would use. If I follow your your advice, um, you wouldn't start an Alcoholic Anonymous uh, meeting that way. You would say, hi, my name is Maurice Jones, and I am attempting to overcome this addiction to alcohol that I have. Right? Am I? Right. Am I? And that's a great. So, how do you how really do you reconcile point. how do you reconcile um, those two styles, if you will? Right, because that and what's uh, what I like about your question is that it's getting at the idea of individual preference, because that's also really important. Because on one hand, we can say that. The, uh, through research, we're finding that when you when you refer to someone using person-first language, you te- there, there tend to be more positive outcomes with that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that identity-first language is bad and that using it for an individual who prefers to use identity-first language, so calling themselves or referring to themselves as an alcoholic, cannot lead to positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's also important because that's why it's also important to, for us not to necessarily say that we should only be using yeah. one particular language choice. Gotcha. Because what's important about identity first language is that it, it does focus on the idea that alcoholism isn't something that you, you're, you're, you're dealing with one day and then all of a sudden it goes away the next, or at least that's, I mean, the medical, uh, um, so uh, the medical community is also in agreement in this, that these conditions, uh, alcoholism is not a condition where it just, you, you're dealing with it one day and then you're not dealing with it at the next. It's, it's, a, it's potentially very constant in someone's life and this is an identity they're going to have to deal with. So using the word alcoholic to describe themselves can help reinforce that and and potentially take away some of the shame that would come with the idea of 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 having to deal with this condition because this is something that's just not going away so you should be using language to focus on that but i think that when organizations are trying to build out language language choices that they want to use, whether it be on their websites or for guidelines, et cetera. I think it's actually important for them to understand when it's important to use identity first language, which may be to reinforce someone's personal identity versus when they're trying to describe an entire group of people and they're wanting to get the outside community yeah. to be more empathetic, which is when person-first language would be better. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Excellent. Uh, I am really grateful for um, the work that you're doing. I am uh, grateful that you are spending time with us um, uh, as part of the Emerging Leaders Council. I um, am 
also looking forward to being able to use uh, your research uh, to help us get better in the way that we use language uh, and to help us um, better, frankly, uh, understand and appreciate the fact that amongst the tools that we bring to the table to try to be helpful for the individuals in the communities uh, that we get up every day to work on behalf of is actually the language that we use uh, to talk about and to describe uh, and to motivate people uh, in these uh, in these communities and to work on behalf of them that 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 we should be taking as much care with our language as frankly we take with uh, structuring a capital stack. I mean that if I'm reading you right, that's what you're that's what you're telling us. Yes, yes. That language choices, while they can be subtle, while they are subtle, they matter. They can they can make a difference, and that especially over time, the, by changing language, we can really change the way we perceive stigmatized groups, which is which is ultimately the most important thing. Terrific. Well, uh, Esther, thanks so much. Uh, good luck in the uh, continuation of your PhD journey, which I understand is uh, is almost coming to an end. Uh, and um, and um, <laughs> yes, I, fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to see what the next chapter will be after that, and I. Uh, Certainly hope it uh, will be further work with us. So thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Maureen. Okay, take care. Bye.